Hello and welcome. You're listening to Busted Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Landis. All right, we're moving on to segment two here of this podcast. We're going to talk a little bit more about Tim's success and his many monster whitetails he's killed. It's all right. Yeah, it's 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 more than I ever thought it would be. Yeah. yeah. And it started with, <clears throat> excuse me, what you said with the deer behind you over the door. That was your yeah. first. Up in the corner. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, th- that first buck is like oh, your awe moment. Oh, right? yeah. And I remember in 1991, um, when I shot this buck up here in the corner, I had never had a buck come towards me that I could see antler on both sides of the tree as it was approaching. And I'm just like, oh man. And after I, you know, ended up getting that deer, you know, I, I told myself I'm going to do this again. Mm -hmm. And, but what was kind of a, uh, a trans, how do you say, a, a moment where y- you just morph into something different. Yeah. After I shot this, I had basically I had shot every buck that got in front of me, during, you know, with my tags that I mm-hmm. had. Yeah. You know, all those years leading up to that, and it just so happened that this big one came in front of me. Right that spot, night. right time. Yeah. Right spot, right time. So I had a string of a bunch of little deer, a little bucks, mm-hmm. you know, which I was cutting my teeth on that, you know, filling my tags through all those years before that of these little bucks. And when this one came up in 1991, it wasn't a matter of I was trying to shoot big bucks. It just happened to be the buck that yeah. came in front. Of me. I had the tag. But I remember just the, oh my gosh. And then when you walk up to what you've done, you know, um, it just was like I'm, I'm gonna do that again. Yeah, that feeling, like oh, but, okay. Then you, you're hunting that feeling too. Yeah, I was like, but can I pass a buck? Can I actually do that? <clears throat> right. And so that was the goal for the rest of the season because at that point in Indiana, uh, you could take a couple bucks with your bow. Mm-hmm. You know, it was we were able to shoot more than uh, one buck um, in Indiana. So it got to the point that. Um, I had my weapon with me later on in the season, late season actually it was, and I had a buck come by me with my bow and passed him. Ooh, how hard was that? Oh, I was, I almost fell off the tree. I am not kidding you. I was just convulsing, you know, and you're like, how? Uh, and, and I remember when I went back to the vehicle that night, I called one of my buddies, um, Kevin Stump, who lives in Montana, he used to work for, he used to, actually, Kevin used to work for uh, Eastman's Outdoors, the TV, okay. and uh, uh, was had their ads that he put together for their magazine. But uh, I called Kevin, and I said, I did it. And he's like, you did what? And he goes, did you shoot one? I'm like, no, I did it. I passed a buck with my buck. I passed one. I let him walk away. And Kevin was laughing, and he's like, his first words were, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. That's an accomplishment itself. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And I was just like, yeah. That's where it and starts. And that's where it started. Yep. And it just went from there. Yeah. yeah. Well, how, how big was that buck? Do you remember how it looked, the size um, of the I first that, one? Uh, that big one here, um, he was, I think the gross 158. You know, okay. nothing giant, but a got your attention kind of a deer. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially with the archery equipment. Yeah, and then uh, it started to get bigger from there. I mean, 
120s and 130s, you know, started to come into play. And yeah. Um, and then once you kind of kind of got a mixture of that class, it, it moved up and moved up and moved up kind of a thing. So and was that one out of Indiana? Yes, this was okay. out of Indiana. And then uh, what really started to compound, um, you know, the size of, of, of deer that I was getting opportunity to get mm-hmm. um, was when I was with Scott. I, I mean, I got to know Scott Worsler, uh, the measure we just talked to a few yep. minutes ago here on the segment. And he had a uh, cousin that lived in Ohio. Okay. And so we went over to Ohio and got a lease over there and... It started to kind of shape up that. Are you kidding me? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of big deer here. Right. And um, then when you start to have more opportunity at big deer, you can really and and you take that. And we talked about earlier. You know, the deer are going to do what they can do if you just let them have that opportunity. Exactly. And you know, you just uh, uh, start to get the right people around you. Um, then we got some other properties in the area, and then the things in Indiana were already in place, and then the one buck rule came into into, into play, and things just really started to compound as far as what yeah. was you just <clears throat> jacked up the percentage rate on, on what you could do if you wanted to do that. Right, so, your dedication and passion and towards it. I was going to do it. Yeah. Yep. So you used you were in psychology, human psychology for for years. Yeah. Um, got a uh, bachelor's. Uh, from Huntington University okay. uh, in psychology, and then a uh, master's uh, from a university in Fort Wayne um, for mental health counseling, and also had my state licensure um, working at a community mental health uh, clinic, working with adolescents, families, you name it. Um, right. But uh, you learn a lot about behavior uh, when you get that stuff, so or have those degrees. Right. And then the, the human behavior and deer behavior were they not so much on what they did, but how their, their mind function, what they did every day, their, their habits, they kind of go together. No, I mean, deer and human beings are very different. Very I different. mean, you've, no, you've noticed that too. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> so no, all joking aside, no, no. <laughs> um, but what you start to pick up when you, when you start to learn about how a person becomes, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, you've got, uh, things that are external, you know, that influence them, internal voices, you know, we have, right, you right. know, um, like gut instinct, gut instincts, yep. you know, uh, and then when you get into the animal world, you've got, you know, predator and prey, you know, predator, they think and are wired a little different. Oh, They've got yeah. different, uh, behavior pieces. You've got, uh, prey, you know, how they think and are motivated and react, you know, and I just was kind of fascinated just from the human side of things. Yeah. You know? I don't know what's going on in the inside of these guys' heads, um, but I really didn't start thinking about that until after I started shooting the bigger deer. Okay, and I, I was noticing that they would, they were, they act different. You know. Oh yeah. They'd come in different. <clears throat> they'd hang up different. You spook them once. You didn't see them for a while. You right. Know? <laughs> Compared to a yeah. two-year-old buck. Yeah. To yeah. a five, six-year-old deer. And I just started to then take inventory mm-hmm. of how they were and by just paying attention to those behavior traits not reading magazine stuff not doing listening to podcasts back mm-hmm. in the day yeah yeah not having the outdoor channel where i got to see you know these guys how you think it needs to be done i just started to formulate you know from a behavior standpoint what uh, i was going to start to do yeah 
and you kind of start thinking of the mindset of a um um of a prey per se not so much a predator mindset yeah and also taking into into consideration um the age of a prey of a deer i was Mm -hmm. after yeah I, i always say there's deer hunting okay and then there's big buck hunting and do not confuse the two okay whole different world yeah i i even i've told jack and i've probably told scott you know i I have used the the old saying of when you're deer hunting you're not hunting a deer right you're after these big bucks it is not longer a deer it is a machine that is now trained wired and it is a survival expert I mean, right. it's got deer fur and deer ears on it, but I really don't even look at them as a deer anymore. Right, exactly. They, they it's a whole different... They are a honed piece of survival. Yeah. And they've got behavior traits that a fawn doesn't have because they've... I mean, they're not a fawn anymore. Yeah. They're, they're not a doe. They don't act like a doe. And they don't act like that year-and-a-half-old, two-and-a-half-old, three-and-a-half-year-old buck anymore. They've been there, done that, all right? And by the time they get to that five six you know even a four-year-olds are starting to act a little different no Um, kidding okay they uh uh, they have behavior traits that if you're on to it you literally can use that against them no i can talk about that yeah i definitely want to hear more about that so have you noticed on like you're you're hunting an individual deer will differ from another individual deer you're hunting completely are they oh yeah are, are they yeah and I'll just go back to what we were talking about. They have different personality traits. Yeah. Um, you know, some are more aggressive, some are more timid. Mm-hmm. Just because you have a deer with a big rack doesn't mean he's going to be the one that's going to be most aggressive. Um, I will keenly watch my trail camera stuff, uh, even in the summer times, or as I'm watching them grow up, mm-hmm. uh, how they behave when they're coming into like a summer feed site or you got a mineral yeah. block out. You know, um, you could have a big buck. I've seen it time and time again, and he he'll come down. And he's you know interested in your trophy rock or your mineral, you know, in the summertime, and even literally as clear as these trail cameras are, anymore, you can see out of the corner of his eye. He can see something's coming, and if it's like a buck that's even his same size or maybe a little smaller, mm-hmm. or he just doesn't like, it, he'll get out of the way. Right. And if he continues to do that kind of stuff. Um, and then I know he's going to stay in the fall. I know I've got maybe a little more timid approach. So when I go to my calling, if I'm even going to do that with him, right? You know, I, I'm trying to pay attention to what his tendencies are, um, and the the deer. Every buck is going to be different, mm-hmm. um, but it sounds so weird to say this, but they're going to have some things that they're going to do identically. Right. Um, that you need to be in, in tune with also. Okay. So it's so just, just having a keen, a keen eye for the little things. Right. You know, when you pay attention to those little things, it can pay off in big ways. So every hunt could change differently as for your tactics you use, the products you mm-hmm. use. The, so yeah. you're going for specific deer. There's a lot of homework behind it before you just go in and hunt it. Yeah. And as we were talking earlier today, um, you don't start to think about it until it starts to happen this many times but um you know like when you arrived today patrick you know one of the things we were talking about um all these deer on the wall and you uh, obviously people on the podcast can't see the entire room you might be a span later oh yeah i will yeah yeah. um but every one of these deer on the wall there's about 30 of them here um it was killed in the first hunt that's mind-blowing it does not 
vary. I mean, the closest one that I could say was a two hunt deal was the one we're looking at right here. Oh, that yeah, this one right here. Okay. This this is the one I shot this this year, and you could call it. It was the second time I was in the tree, but um, the wind was a little shifty uh, mm -hmm. on Halloween this year, and I was. And it said it was supposed to come out of the west. Uh, it was going to change mid afternoon, but settle you know late evening. I thought you know I could get in there, and I think I can get this guy from what my intel was you know showing on my cams. And when I went in um, about uh, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, within about 20 minutes, as I checked that wind about every three minutes, it had changed four different directions in 20 minutes. Oof. So if you can count that as a hunt that I bailed and I got the heck out of there, um, I was not going to ruin the, that perfect place stand when right. I knew I just needed that west and I'm probably a little bit better off with him in the morning anyways where he's going to approach. Yeah. So um, I bailed, got out of there. Uh, some people might call that a hunt. And so the second time, you know, if I could say I went in the next day. Reconnaissance uh, mission. 8 o'clock, he was dead in the morning. Yeah. Gosh. And he was 191? Uh, I get him in. One, grossed 190 and two eights. 190 and two eights. Yeah. Yeah. He's a... It basically almost a you know your mainframe six by six real short on the front if you could call that one of them scored I think and the other one did not oh yeah, okay correct but the real surprise I don't know if you can see this uh, there'll well be more there. photos as more well more photos of that there was actually uh, sixteen and two eighths inches of sticker point he had down low uh, which you know really jacked him up in, in oh yeah as far as as far as score goes so anyway. But you don't take your bow with you until maybe October twenty seventh. Oh, You're really? Hunting. Yeah. It's hunting or killing. It's yeah. There's there's a there's a difference there. Yeah. I hunt three hundred and if I could say it like this, I hunt three hundred and sixty four days a year. But I go and kill one day a year, and yeah, that's you know. So like with, I'm sure every deer is very similar to this deer, on the background that comes to a trail cam photos mm -hmm. from day one to this the end game mm -hmm. so do you track like this buck do you have uh been chasing him since he was a fawn you, you've known this no, the doe he's come you never from. know when they're a fawn actually uh he came on the radar uh last year um he was a four-year-old i mean what he turned okay. into four-year-old he was probably in the i'd say mid 140s um, from the rack that he had he really put it on this year holy in cow fact, his shed is laying right over there on that chair real quick yeah if you want to step up there and, and grab that um, this was his shed from last year it's got a little squirrel mark on it but oh, Jack you want to hold that up yeah. um, but so he exploded that was his rack last year half and then you know you're looking at what he turned into yeah, this year that's well, he really he still has it carries his mass carries the same thing and if you notice on this brow tine you know how it kind of curls in yeah yeah your curl in i mean your signature series yeah, yeah mean, no he, kidding he carried some of the very same traits but he he really he really wow. it on um in uh that one year got a lot of noise there sorry yeah, yeah. that's fine yeah i can imagine the amount of inches he put on just in a year yeah but the 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 trick the trick became to kill him was to get rid of another buck Okay. 
Um, as a four-year-old, uh, I had a buck uh, on the property the past few years named Ramrod. Ramrod <laughs> is not the one in the corner, but the one next over. Okay. Uh, Ramrod was killed the year before. And a lot of my buddies, you know, I killed a lot of 170 plus bucks many years in a row, 160, 170, you know, bigger bucks. And when I knocked Ramrod down, that was, you know, in the upper 40s, I had a lot of my buddies go, what the world are you you doing? Like, purpose. So I get rid of him. I assume he was more dominant. He was extremely dominant and he was running this buck out. Yeah. And he was running also other deer out. Um, and I knew if I could get this buck through one more year, I'm on my way to maybe growing a giant. I didn't know it was going to happen in one, you know, right. that one year. But I needed to eliminate my problem. Yep. And so I used my only Indiana buck tag to Oof. shoot ramrod. Um, and it's it a respectable the, deer. Yeah. High 140s. He's an eight or nine? He's an eight. He's an eight. Yeah. Um, and story on him is I pretty much had watched Ramrod the year before. I knew where he liked to feed at, you know, that time of the year, that late post rut kind of a thing. Yeah. And around Thanksgiving, I went in that day and put up my hay bale pod, which we talked yeah. about, my straw, my straw bale straw pod, bale. you know, um, pod, and put it up at noon, and, you know, by sunset it was over. So, with, yeah. with Ramrod? With Ramrod. Done. Got him out of there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. About personalities was Ramrod had a big deer. Was, it, was this a, a small body deer? This, uh, Ram, Ramrod had a big body and a bad attitude. And he, he, he didn't care. You know, he yeah. was just like, this is my, this is my dirt and I'm owning it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that was a year and a half old, two and a half, three and a half, you know, uh, Night Stalker, which is this buck's name, was this buck's name. You know, you, you'd, you'd, on the cameras, when you would watch uh, Ramrod walk into the plot, mm-hmm you would see other bucks in the plot and they literally would posture you know they're not just watching him walk by they would posture in flight ready go ready to go ready to get yeah so and he just walked through doing his thing and when i saw that much behavior on other bucks how they there's my problem he's stressing everyone out he's got to go yep he's got to go and i knew i had a couple bucks in the area that he as soon as he would show up um they'd be gone in fact we had a neighbor about uh, a mile and a half away that would get ramrod in the summertime okay and we knew he was summering quite a far away and as soon as that sucker would show up and get into our as soon as he started to get into the sets in the in the cameras any buck of any size the little ones would just skirt out of there right you know but the bigger ones were gone you know they were gone and then he'd take over and sometimes, you know, as you guys listen to this podcast, you want to know how to grow better bucks, okay? Sometimes it's going to mean using your tag on a buck that may not have the bigger rack, but has the attitude to run the racks, if I could say your future racks, out of there. Yeah, I mean, okay? it absolutely was, too. So you kind of take one for the team. <clears throat> yeah. You know, you get it out of there. So it worked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very well it worked. Yeah. So this was the deer you killed, twenty-two, correct, and then twenty-one, mm-hmm. and then twenty. Twenty, yeah. All the same area. It was a similar area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you know, you could obviously have big enough deer. The rumor of a large deer will stay kind of have a smaller home range because they know when the does are coming to heat. They know which doe they want. They know when they're going to be there, so they don't venture that far. Is that true? 
everything you said is false. Really? And I'll tell you why. Go for it. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of information out there that would lead you to believe it's about the does. Yeah. It's about, you know, uh, the rut and I can find the does there. Mm-hmm. When you get this big, your number one thing you're thinking, at least in my head, and this is my theory I'm gonna go with, is safety. I wanna know I'm safe. I wanna know I'm not gonna get bumped. I want to know that there's no human intrusion, which is the predator, the apex predator I'm scared of most. Yep. Okay. And when I can find those spots, especially as I get older, it's just like as we get older, we all got to know where our, our comfortable lazy yeah, boy yeah. is in the corner of the room and why even go over to the, you know, why, why, why make the living room bigger than what it has to be? I'm going to stick with my lazy boy. Yeah, I know where I'm going anyways. I know where I'm going. And I'm going to know where I'm going to stay. And I'm going to know that well and when it comes to the rut surprisingly they don't venture too much further out from that they really don't so um, that 10 mile loop is myth total myth okay they're not going to run that 10 mile they're not going to run the mile now is that I, with larger deer or with deer in general i'm going to say the older you get when you start to get to that you get tired five-year-old six-year-old you start to even see it in the four-year-olds that range just it right. shrinks to you gotta be kidding me um we had a buck in that same area years ago um that uh was big he was a five-year-old uh one of the neighbors did get him um and i think it was for about 10 days straight there was a swamp that they could see down in from you know their stand vantage points and for i think it was like 10 days straight that buck did not leave a five-acre area. Wow. Now, Rut there, time. The, He's not leaving it. No, the food, water, shelter, it's all there He had in everything area. he needed, it's and he leave. was not leaving it. He felt safe in there, and it was a place we didn't go in. And, yeah. Yeah. So, That's yeah, the, 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 the older they get, the smaller their area gets. They know it intimately. They're older. They're not going to want to run around. The, the most dangerous age these deer are, I believe, is a three-year-old because their rack is you start to get sizable. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys want to shoot that 130-ish, 140-inch rack, yeah. 120 to 140-inch rack. He becomes very desirable, and he is moving all over the place. Yep. Um, and our cameras are showing, you know, you got to remember, we're not just having cameras on a couple hundred acres. I'm talking cameras that cover about a 1,200-acre area. So we get a real good scope of what they do at different ages. Right. Um, and that three-year-old uh, with a more desirable rack, and he wants to move a lot. Um, that's the danger year. Right. That is the danger. And that year. makes perfect sense. A yeah. lot of people kill a good threes, like respectable yes. three-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. And they're happy with that, and that's good. Oh thing. yeah. But if you're trying to grow something like this, you just cross your fingers. Okay, I got a good one. It's a three-year-old. <laughs> three-year-old walks up, um, put your hands in your pockets. And I don't grab hope your he bow. gets to four. What can I do this year to help that happen? Yeah. And just like you know, the year before, I had to get rid of one to yep. make room for one not to get ran out. Right. And I, I think that's one of the things that's hardest for people to grasp when you start seeing, you know, somebody like Tim that's been as successful as what he's been, and you look around and you see the the quality of the deer. It's, it's not easy. To pass that 130, that 140. No, it's not. But I mean, Tim and I talked about this just the other day. You know, when you, one of the things that I, that Tim mentioned to me early on when we were talking big deer, and I'm talking eight and nine, ten years ago, 
is you don't shoot a deer on the last day you wouldn't shoot on the first day if you'd pass that deer opening day there's no reason that you should shoot it on the last day i mean on the last day that deer's made it if if you've got that deer in front of you on the last day that deer's that deer's made it through season yep Yep. so if you wouldn't have shot him on morning one why are you shooting him on evening end yeah so i mean it's just one of those things that it's it's not easy i mean it's it's not easy to let a big deer walk be it you know 130 140 i will say that you know you start passing 130s and it gets easier and you start passing 140s and it gets easier and then at some point in time you you end up passing 150 um that'd be hard it gets easier <laughs> so hard. Um, you know like jack saying if you just do the math you know that 120 to 140 buck which is mm-hmm. very desirable they are likely not to make that jump from that class to that 170 180 190 okay or mm-hmm. bigger okay it's that 145 to 160 ish deer that's the class you've got to let go and oh 100%. So that's hard. 100%. You're passing up good. Yeah. Good, I mean, you know, just deer. you know, you look at NS here, mid 150s the year before 190. You know, you look at Devilish, what was Devilish the year before? Devilish the year before was probably low 60s. You know, low 60s no into, into low mm-hmm. 90s. So there's there's likely going wow. to be a point or correct me if you're wrong. This is this is coming secondhand mostly from, you know, talking to you between Four and a half and five and a half or five and a half to six and a half or it might be you know on some deer it's going to vary it might be three and a half to four and a half but there's a really good chance that with proper genetics and proper food at some point in time you're going to have that deer make you know a, a 20 25 inch jump is is really not that uncommon so wow. you know, if, yeah or more. more if you've got that deer in front of you that's that's 140 inch four-year-old there's a really good chance that deer hasn't made that big jump yet you know he's gotten to 140 just kind of with those gradual those gradual jumps getting up to four and a half at 140. Yeah. So, you know, if you can let that deer go, that 140 that you let walk today, that could be your 170 next year. Right. I you mean, get people shooting him like, ah, he's got no no potential. He's 130 inches at four years. Let's get him out of here. Right. Mm-hmm. Not and knowing that what your, he could blow up to the next your year. Your jump years are usually four or five. Yep. Okay. Yep. Four or five are going to be your jump years where they're going to just boom. Explode by 40 inches. And usually you get one year like that. You don't get two booms uh, i don't know why they're wired like that but i have never really had a buck once they make that big jump mm-hmm. that then it's another 40 inches the next year right, right. you just don't see that i mean i'm sure that it happens if you take a look at tim beck's buck down in in Huntington <laughs> county i mean tim's buck probably made three consecutive years of just Man. giant jumps no but kidding. you're talking about you know when you talk Yachty. to yeah i mean you know scott you know far more about this you know what are the odds of somebody actually shooting a, a net 200 inch non-typical? I mean that oh, is man. that is an absolute unicorn. Yeah, I mean the, the, the state title for non-typical lasted for what 40, 50 years before. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. And so you know it's one of those things where can a deer make multiple year massive jumps? I mean, clearly there are some deer out there that do it. Yeah. But realistically. It's not going to be every deer, but there's a really good chance that most of your whitetails are going to make a 20, 30 inch jump at some point in time, be it between four and a half and five and a half. And the big problem there is that, you know, how often do you want to pass a 140 inch four-year-old or 150 inch four-year-old? Not a lot of people. Not Mm -hmm. a lot of people do. Um, And I'm I'm in that group of not a lot of people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm more in the group of people that I've, I've passed those deer Hmm. um, in previous years, especially in Indiana. Uh, I mean, the property that I had for years and years here in Indiana, it was one of those things where, 
you know, I would have a great crop of three and a half year old deer every year on that property. Right. And at four and a half years, they were gone. Um, and that all boils down to human intrusion. That's just that area is super high pressure earlier. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things that if you leave deer alone and you let deer do what deer do, uh, you can pass that four and a half year old deer and, and let that deer push to that next age class and, and see if that deer is going to make that 20, 30 inch jump. So you've got something that in the whitetail world truly becomes special. Not that 140 inch deer, 150 inch deer isn't a great deer. Mm -hmm. Um, but those are the deer that are getting shot. Oh, you know, 100%. If, if you yeah. want to, if you want to kind of move to that next caliber or that next class, when it comes to the whitetails that you're shooting, you can't keep shooting the same age class year after year after year. And I know it's, I mean, it's incredibly difficult, especially, you know, when you're on smaller acres, like what a lot of Northern Indiana is, mm -hmm. you know, you let that 140, 150 inch deer walk and it goes, you know, 300 yards across the fence line. Is your neighbor going to let it walk? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough. Which is why I believe know your neighbors. Oh you yeah. hundred percent. Jack will, Jack will tell you that the number one thing we usually do when we get a new property, when we've got, when he's been watching this is we've got new properties. Mm -hmm. What do we do in the, uh, immediately? Do you find out who you're who, up against? You yeah, find out you who talk, your neighbors yeah, are. Who your neighbors are. Right. And sometimes you'll find out the places that are no hunting that are next to you. You didn't know it. That's magic. Yeah. Sometimes you'll find out a place that's doing exactly what you want to do. And they're like, yes, finally I've got neighbors that yes. are like me. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now you're like, you got an ally. Yep. All right. And then you might have somebody over there that uh, they just bow hunt. They don't go hunt. Um, and then sometimes you'll get a property that, you know, there's a lot of activity happening there. But knowing not only what you've got, but knowing your surroundings mm -hmm. um, is very helpful in what you're about to do. Okay. Right. And then the second thing is, is, you know, I'm a believer in um, strong relationships make strong opportunity. Yeah. You know. And oftentimes, as years go on, those strong relationships, those people come like your best friends. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, whether you're deer hunting or not. Yeah. Um, so know your neighbors. You know, for you guys out there and you think you're going to get your 100 acres or 200 acres or whatever and you're good to go. Need a little more than that? Talk to your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, it, 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 it's, and it's surprising how timid people are about that. You know, they, uh, but I think the, the guys that really can take it to the next level mm -hmm. are, or even know if they if they are you just spinning your wheels or not? You know, knowing your neighbors yeah. helps you decide a lot of that stuff. That's so. exactly what I did. I'm only on 27 acres, but there's two hundreds of acres around me. Yeah. And I went to the neighboring properties and make. I want to talk to you for a second. I'm not asking to hunt, mm -hmm. but I'm just want to get some information. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of those properties that no one hunts. Yeah. And there's some where people kill anything that walks through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been able to talk to a couple of neighbors. We kind of like come to an agreement on certain deer it's been helpful tremendously yeah yeah, yeah i mean it, it it got to at some points where i even have groups of neighbors that will get into the you know i'll bring them down to my basement and we'll talk about what's in there yeah and we all are like okay we're gonna let those go right and we're gonna shoot these you know kind of a thing so we're on the same page but. that's perfect now have you ever had a neighbor come to you like hey i'm after this 180 inch 10 point if you see him pass them did anybody ever tell you that or ask you that no, no, I don't have any neighbors like that. No. <laughs> I'm usually that neighbor. Right. Hey, <laughs> hey can, can you let that guy know? Yeah. Or, or, you know, you know, you get some of that look in your eye, you know, hey, we've got this 150 inch deer um, and I are the high 140s deer and we think he's a three year old. Can we lay off of him? And just some of the looks of, like, okay, oof. all right, you're asking me to let that go, which would be their biggest deer ever. And 
my answer to that is I'm not asking you I'm not telling you to don't do it I'm saying just know the potentials that's there yep don't decide it tonight sleep on it you just know your neighbor over yeah. here is not going to shoot that deer right yeah. and you hope and yeah. you just see what happens yeah you just see what happens but so I have a question based off of this conversation. So I've I've prayed, and my three and a half year olds have made it. Most of them, the ones that are out running around. Mm-hmm. Now I've got these four and a half year olds that might have a shot. Let's say I decide I'm gonna I'm gonna double down and I'm gonna try to get those to the next level. What you're saying is he's in a tighter area as he gets older. Mm-hmm. So question number one is. Does that mean I need to do either more scouting or have more trail cameras to try to find him because he's not as visible? And question number two is, once I find him, is that the jackpot because I know he's not going very far? That's a good question. If you've got that four-year-old there, you're already on the downhill of his movement, okay? So I'm going to go at it like this. Trail cameras aren't just the magical answer, all right? But if you can get in to get that trail camera in a place that won't bump him where he likes to be, mm-hmm. use as many as you can, all right? Because you're going to start to figure out where he likes to go to first at dawn or where the, or, I'm sorry, first in the evening or where, where he's coming back at dawn. You're going to start to pinpoint the area that he frequents most often. And that four-year-old isn't going to be, depending on his personality, a four-year-old is kind of iffy, but he's starting to show those traits. If he's definitely five, you definitely want to get as many trail cameras within the area. You know you're not going to bump him. You know, mm-hmm. You're probably going to know where he wants to be at anyways by that point. He's going to want a smaller area. Right. All you're trying to figure out then is what's his ingress and egress. Where does he like to roll? Okay. Because once you figure out where he likes to roll – then that allows you to position yourself, you know, to have those stands or access to, to get him on the white wind direction. Right. And that's yeah. a, what you just said right there is a big part of it, you know, on the white right wind direction. And it's not necessarily the wind direction and it's not necessarily seeing his ingress in, in that in and out of that bedding area. But there's more to that picture than just the picture. And the thing that you've really got to ask yourself when you get him in that spot is why, why is he there? Why is he there mm-hmm. at that time? I mean, when you're chasing deer that are, that are that mature, they're very habitual on what they're doing. Yeah. And so it's really important if you're going to have this kind of success and, and I'm looking at it from the outside, obviously. Um, but from the outside looking in, it's, it's important to understand the why, why did that deer take that trail that morning versus the trail he took yesterday morning? What's different is the wind, you know, is the wind quartered different into that bedding area than what it was. And that's why he took a trail that's 40 yards off. You know, is it, was it what due West yesterday? And now it's, you know, West Southwest. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if it is, was it at that point in time in that morning, was there more South in it than what there was the day before? So it's, it's really not the amount of information that you can gather with trail cameras far exceeds just the picture. The picture is just the picture. Right. It's the information that you can that you can glean from that picture that's really important. And like Tim said, it's it's not putting one camera out and hoping that you get that deer, you know, every few days. Uh, when you start focusing in on on hunting one deer and not just deer hunting, uh, the more cameras you can put in that area without 
being intrusive, which is where cell cameras are so great. The more, the more pictures you can put there, the more information you can gather and the more information you can gather and the more of those whys you can start getting answered. Uh, it starts to paint a lot more clear picture as to exactly what that deer is doing, why he's doing it and when he's going to repeat yeah. that action. Yeah. And what Jack's talking about yeah. too, it really tends to per- portray deer behavior, not in the rut. Okay. Correct. Gotcha. It's a whole different so, ball game. A whole different ball game. In fact, you know, I always have this this saying of I'm gonna about, I'm about to play the highest odds game I can. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing 100, percent but I'm trying the highest odds game I can. And the highest odds game to kill these big deer, I believe, happens from about October 29th to 30th. Some might say like the first week of November. Yeah. Okay. That pre-rut where they really get wound up because. You got to remember, as they're getting wound up in that pre-rut, they're not running everywhere yet. They're running a lot where they're familiar. Right. Okay. So back to Scott's question of, you know, if I've got that four or five-year-old, you know, how can that's the period of time where you're like, aha, you know, this is you. You're running this a lot, and you're showing me a lot of you're showing me a lot of hands of cards because yep. you're just wired. I'm going to go back to the psychology piece mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. I am wired to cover as much territory I feel very safe in right now. See which does come in. I'm not going to widen that up too much yet. Okay, gotcha. um, but that's another thing to take into consideration when using the trail cameras and the, and the timing of that. Uh, another thing is is uh, how many bucks are in the picture. That's huge. What else is in the picture? Obviously, right. which direction did he come from? How long did he linger in that spot? All right. What time was it? You know, those kind of things. Uh, if I'm getting buck pictures from, you know, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, you know, that's great to see that's there. Do you think I'm going to hunt that? No. no. You're not going to see me anywhere around that. You know, that's where he is at that at night. Yep. But I'm looking for that, especially as we get closer to that first week of November, if I am picking up you know, what I call fringe pictures, fringe mm-hmm. daylight pictures, where it's not quite daylight yet, I know he's right there. Okay? Right. And as soon as it starts to get a little, that cold, first cold front that comes in or these cold fronts come in or as the rut starts to pick up, that pre-rut picks up, fringe will now turn into daylight. Yeah. Okay, and I, I know I'm in the right spot. But a lot of what we're talking about came into how to kill this guy. Right. Um, and a couple of the things that got Night Stalker killed uh was one i knew the area very well i knew his behavior very well cameras were telling me some traits he had okay i knew he was the biggest bodied buck uh i knew from my trail camera pictures and and videos and that's the other thing that's really starting to come into in, that's that's accelerated the trail camera product for information it's not just a still picture anymore right you start introducing video Oh man, I can now pick up how they behave, um, how other deer are around them, and I'm trying to figure out right. what am I really dealing with. The, what am I really dealing with here? Uh, but the videos really start to come into play. It gives you a whole other level of intel. Yeah. Um, but with Night Stalker, uh, he was basically coming in out of some crop fields, and if I could just kind of modify what Jack said just a little bit, mm-hmm. not such particular trails, but a general access route, okay? okay. Uh, a tendency, uh, a high odds area he was going to come through. And it laid in how, how crops laid, bedding areas laid, topography, 
Okay. Uh, so you're not just like, you know, oh, I got a deer on my trail cam. I'm going to hang a picture here. Or, or not a picture, but a killer. Let's stand yeah. here. You know, you're, you're, you're taking out. In fact, even this year, we had three storms come through mm. our area of northern Indiana. And in fact, as I was talking to one of the foresters, uh, just a little side note, um, we had more trees knocked down in those three storms than in the Palm Sunday tornado events back in the 70s. No kidding. We lost a lot of timber in these woods, okay? Is it due to the, the ash tree dying, a lot more dead trees, or uh, just in general? No, it was just straight-line wind knocking stuff down. I mean, wow. there was stuff laying all over these woodlots we were up in northern Indiana. So that's another thing I was taking into consideration to get him killed, is I knew feeding, I knew bedding, I know his tendencies for topography, but now I had freaking trees laying all over down Completely there. Completely changed it. And when I went in to try to pick the stand site, I'm trying to, I now I have to take into what would he want to navigate? Mm-hmm. He's not going to want to navigate something narrow. Right. And really something wide isn't really a navigation route, but what would be, if I'm a, if I'm a buck trying to get from feeding to bedding, what would be a generality I would take? And still okay. stay safe. Still stay safe. And he can get out if he needs to. And I'm use, I'm even looking at how trees are laying, that how he'll maneuver. You know, wow. Those are some things I'm taking into, into consideration. Yeah. He's not going to want to go over a log that's you know three feet high. Right. You know, he just, but he'll go, and he's not going to throw two tops that are down. But if he has a little bit of area that he feels like he can still see and he still feels safe and he's in his generality that he feels like he's in an area he knows, he'll still move through mm-hmm. that. Okay, so that was one thing I was taking into consideration. I was trying to kill him with with the stand I put up. The other piece up here in northern Indiana, especially Kosciuszko County, this area that we're in right up here, we have 101 lakes. Steuben County is the same way over 100 lakes, which means when the glaciers came in, and you know, here I'm talking about glaciers on a podcast about deer (laughs) hunting. This is how deep this goes, guys. This is how deep this goes. Yeah. Right. Um, We have. We have uh, a lot of lowlands mixed with ridges and tops. Yes. Okay. I'm not going to call them mountains. They're not that. But they are literally areas where glaciers formed lakes and a lot of swamps and wetlands. Yeah. But with a lot of sandy ridges and ridge, you know, ridges. You have, you, have, you have some topography within the woodlots. Right. All right. So as I'm trying to figure out bedding, feeding, where he wants to navigate through, I also know one of the topography pieces he likes to use is that low swamp area, okay? A lot of guys will make the mistake of, I'm going to put my stand right on the edge of that slope, looking down into that swamp. Mm. So if I could do it this way <clears> on <throat> your camera, you got you got a top here and a slope that comes down, all right? Maybe a 10 to 15, sometimes up to 20 foot elevation variation right it, i don't call it steep but it's noticeable all yeah. right and then you got your lower swamp down here okay a lot of guys they'll put their stand right on the edge of that get skyline okay? so fast and they want to see down in there yeah. and i can't blame them all right i can't blame them they want to see down in there but the better stand setup is get yourself back about 30 yards maybe off of that and you're like what if you think he's going to come through there, why would you not want to be right on top of him? Well, it goes into what my calling is going yes. to do, and we're going to talk about that in, yep. in this piece here. What I was trying to do is not be right on top of him. I want to be back away 
because I know he's big, I know he doesn't back down, I know it's pre-rut, and I know he's not going to want, if, if there's somebody else in the area that sounds good, you know, like he wants out of there, Yeah, he's not going to back, he's not going to back away from that. Exactly. So I got my stand in a place where I am up and I can see over that. But if he's down here, which is what he his route was, yep. he liked to use, he cannot see up. He has to come to you. He has to come up and look. There's no choice other than looking up at your skyline. He has to come up and look, but he's not going to do it on its own. It takes, he needs some coaxing, right? Takes the calls. And I can't just say, hey, come here. You know? <laughs> if it's only that you easy. You can. But I can say, hey, come here. I can pick this up and say, hey, come here. Yeah. So yeah. I've hunted a long time, not as long as you. I've never seen any calls that look like this. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you probably won't. So. <laughs> And we talked about it. you can't find these anymore. No. Um, for all you uh, gray-haired guys out there, loss of hair guys out there back in the 80s that are still rolling around, some of you may remember this, but there was a company, uh, believe it or not, that made Coleman Igloos. And the Coleman company also made a – these are actually the same call. Um, I've got two of them for a reason here in a second. But – they uh, actually made a call called the Golden Eagle Twin Tube. Okay. Okay. And the one end of it was a little rubber piece. You could blow on it. It was a bleat. I cut it off and throw it away. All right. <laughs> because I wanted this thing, which wasn't just a uh, call. It was a double-walled call that I felt really... Um, emulated how an esophagus was actually designed yeah okay yeah. it's a little flexible and it's got two walls um and it takes the hardness out of it mm -hmm. i felt even though it's hard plastic it'll soften the tone up a little bit because it's got a double okay. wall in it okay the other thing i like it about it i can screw this end off this pops out and i can actually manipulate that reed to get the actual ah. tone that i want all right this is just a hole all yeah. right but when i screw that sucker back in there I now can actually, if I want a higher pitch grunt or a lower pitch grunt, and I always make sure that I have the deepest grunt, nastiest sound I can make. I mean, that deep, oh, just a, yeah. that sucker's low. All right? Yeah, yeah. I is. don't want to sound little um, because I have found that the bucks that I tend to be after, um, they'll respond more aggressively not to a yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah, they're kind of blow they, it off like they, yeah yeah uh, whatever uh but if somebody else is there that's big they know that there's something valuable that they may want to again the competitive thing comes right. to come out in these deer um so i have this call and this was a 19 i think 1988 i bought this call um, you can see the. That's awesome. I brought the two. This is what a new one looks like. I've got a spare in case I ever lose this one new. here. So like ninety two. No, this 93? is like another eighty eight that I oh, found oh, in a box. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Took gotcha. it out. It's hidden. Wow. Probably I should lock it up so now. I'm right, no kidding. It. Today yeah. on Tim's Antique Road Show. Yeah, Tim's Antique Road Show. <laughs> I'm gonna have to hide this now. They know I have another one. But right. Anyways. They're gonna start going through your bag while you're asleep. But this is with me every day that i am out there you know hunting and it's a weapon it's not it's oh, a call. Yeah. these things are weapons just like your trail cameras they're not just for pretty pictures they're yep. weapons all right um but the thing that i'm doing that i'm trying to take advantage of again 
I've got a buck that's mature. I've got a t routes that I know he's taking. Yep. I, I know he tends to take a low route into where these bedding areas. I've got uh, an elevation advantage. And now I've got a call that not just for him, but for these mature bucks, I can yeah. tell you a lot of stories about how this was the last thing they, they heard. Okay, one of the last things they heard is I know if I then see him, um, and I knew I had a, a route that was, you know, pretty defiable. And sure enough, about, you know, 7.50 in the morning, here he comes. Yeah. Um, and I then broke out into what I call a, a, a grunting cadence. Okay. That's what I was okay. going to ask about, Colin. Yeah. I mean, on the on the shows, uh, you're going to see a lot of guys, the pro shows, and God bless them all. Um, Jack's a, a waterfowl hunter, too, so I'm going to pick on him for a second. These are not duck calls. Right. All right. And I'll see these guys so often, you know, they'll just be like, <laughs> they're up there. And I don't know if it's duck season or deer season when I'm watching these shows. You know, they're just ripping this thing loose. All right. Or they'll take the call and they'll do something like this. Something that's long. Well, they yeah. can hear that. All right. But it's, in my mind, that's just a noise. And if you listen to the woods, if you listen to these big bucks, mm -hmm. and when they're doing their thing, they don't go around just doing, or they don't just go around going, rah, 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 you know. There's a reason for the cadence of the delivery of the sound. Okay. Okay. And what am I going to show you? Maybe I'm the only one doing this. I don't know if I am. Well, here you go. Here's if you are, it, it, it works. It, it so. works. It works. And it's worked multiple times. It worked on a Night Stalker that morning. He's coming in and he's bumping these does around. Okay. So, A, I know he's there. I know he's in the spot I want him, which is down low. Mm -hmm. My cameras show me that was his tendency. And sure enough, he's there. I, I'm good. I'm, I got my stand in the place I want it. Not on the edge. I've got it back a little bit further. So, I break out into my call cadence to him okay all right call cadence listen i'll just do it instead of uh, try to talk you through it it goes like this That's it. And you sit and wait at that point. What did I just do to him? What did I just tell him by that call cadence? I think I could be wrong. Shoot me down. Uh, there's a doe in the area and he's tending a doe or he's bump bumping a doe around. Yes. You're pretty close. Okay. But when a buck is bumping, mm -hmm. their grunting is quicker together. Okay. As they slow down, so does the number of times they grunt. Okay. So, yeah, now that makes more sense than what you did. When they, when that last, I, you see, I start quicker and I slow down and I finally give that one, it's spaced pretty well, that last yep. bar. They're stopped. I stopped and I got something you want. Yep. Now, I didn't yell down over that ridge down that swamp and tell him that, okay? But his ears and the way he is thinking as a large buck, there's another big buck up there. He was chasing something around. He just stopped with her. Yeah. 
And he just put all that in his head, and now he, he's coming to you. You know what Nice Tucker did as soon as he heard that sequence? He walked straight into a tree, lost his beady little mind, backed away from it, up that ridge he come, and 10 seconds later, dirt nap. It's over. Done. Yeah. So with that, with sitting back, yeah. are you? do you have visual of these deer at the bottoms? Like you know. Like you can see them. You can see them down there. Now when they're gr- when they, you grunt, they're obviously, they know right where you are. Well, keep in mind, that's where my elevation helped me, is he heard where he thought I was. Mm-hmm. But as I'm not right on the edge of it, yeah. he just doesn't look up and say, well, I don't see anything, okay? He knows there's elevation he can't see, so he kind he knows pretty much right yeah. where the action's happening, but he can't see who is doing this. Right. Okay. So then up he has to come to investigate. The mistake a lot of guys make is that they're right on that edge. Those bucks know when you turn this thing loose where that buck should be standing within feet. Oh yeah. Okay. And if they can look up the hill where that sound is, and they know there should you should be staying there within feet, and they don't see anything, that gives them no motivation to come up and look. In fact, in some in some right. cases, it might put them on edge of like uh, something right here. Yeah, I hear okay. you. There's nothing here. There's I'm nothing gone. here. I'm, uh, that's that's got to be a hunter. Yep. But if I am up and out of the way, uh, up and out of the way, up up on that top, yeah, and yeah. he's down here, and he can hear that. He has that again. That's it's. I'm taking advantage yeah. of his behavior. Of I, I want to come see that. Defend what's my, you know, all about what big bucks do. Yeah, and up he comes and absolutely. Here we go. You try to throw that call behind you to make him think it's coming from back. Or you no, go, no. I mean, you can, you, you can, you. You can turn and do it behind you, but very seldom do I go clear behind me. I might take it and turn and take my hand and cover Cut it up it. a little bit more. So it doesn't sound like it's so on top. It just kind of right. mutes it a little bit. Okay, you're, you, you can vary your volume with your hand yeah. quite well. Um, but the other thing that a lot of guys, you know, bless their hearts, are trying. But when that buck is coming and they think, oh, he liked it, I'll give him some more. Shut up. When that sucker turns and he's coming to you, he knows within feet where he is going to end up. Take that call. Put it away. Don't touch it again. In fact, if he hangs up a little bit, don't touch him. If, if he hangs up, let him hang up. Let him hang up. Let him think about it. Let him get himself a little more worked up or whatever he's going to do. But just trust he knows where you're at. Now, if that buck turns, starts to walk away, and bump him a couple more times. I'm still here with your stow. Mm-hmm. Just two. Just, just, just easy. Try to, you're always trying to take the temperature. Uh, gotcha. Uh, but you're 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 not trying to take the temperature by calling first. Yeah. Okay. You're trying to take the temperature by seeing what his, and you try to match it or, or just up right. a little bit. Now the other thing too is there's a, the myth out there of don't blind call. No, if you can't okay. see them, don't call. If you cadence call, even though you can't see them, the likelihood that he'll hear that cadence. And know that that whether he's just you know down in that swamp, or if he's further away, because that low volume is going to resonate deeper. It's going to carry, right? Okay, and a lot of times they'll come running, which is what you guys can't see, but diesel over in Ohio, a 175 inch deer on the fly. Here he come. Cadence that that call, was blind calling. Blind calling. Cadence call. He came in like a truck. So, what is your opinion on the rattling and snort wheezing for deer? I've never snort wheezed. 
Really? So I have no comment on that. Okay. Okay. Um, as far as uh, rattling goes, I won't touch it. And I, I kind of have this analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, r- rattling emulates two bucks that have flat out decided, I'm going to kill you. All right? I'm yep. going to tear you to pieces, which is what they're trying to do. It's violent. Yep. All right? And if I'm a big buck and I'm all about survival, all right, and I'm hearing this rattling going on, the first thing I might be thinking is, obviously, what's going on over there, all right? But I'm not going to come running in. I'm going to come in cautiously because I know it's already at fever pitch violence. A call, like my cadence call, says I'm here, I'm with a doe. Right. But that doesn't mean I'm violent yet. <laughs> okay? Right, exactly. I might get to that, yeah, yeah. all right? But I can come up and take a look, and I'm still not going to be, you know, yeah. I'm not walking into a fight, all right? I liken it like this. Um, if you're in a, if you're at a bar, and there is a door that you're, that you have to go through, and you can see some pool tables in there, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you hear, you know, breaking of pool sticks, punching, and you know, it's just pool balls being thrown around, and two guys just going flat at it. Are you going to run through that door and say, "What's going on in here?" You right. Know? Or are you going to go to that door and you're going to kind of maybe peek in cautiously or from a buck, I'm going to yeah, circle yeah. that pool hall room and smell who's doing it. You know? Right. I'm going to come in a little more cautious, all right, versus through that same door, you know, I hear a guy and you're going, hey, baby, you're kind of cute, you know, you know, why don't you play some pool with me, you know, and that kind of stuff. You know, you look, you look great and it's a nice conversation yeah. going on. And I'm a guy and I'm thinking, well, shoot. Maybe this girl is like, I'm going to walk through that door maybe a little quicker. My wife's listening, so no, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'd stay in the car the whole time. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm going to go through there quicker. All right? right. I'm going to go there with less regard. I might feel like I've got some game here, too. All right. And whenever I've got a choice of what kind of mood do I want to put in this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to resort to this every single time versus put him on edge if there's a life and death situation going on I'm about to walk into. That's Fighting. a heck of an analogy. Yeah. That paints a huge picture. Yeah. <clears throat> so I do a lot of rattling and I've mm. called in 120, 130 inch bucks. Yep. Um, never anything big. Maybe they stayed where I couldn't see him. 18 year yeah, you're calling your 18-year-olds. Yeah, know. yeah, that are testosterone yeah. field ready or to I'm fight. I'm trying to call that 60 to 70-year-old guy like, in the room uh, thinking, do I have a chance in there or not? You know, I'm coming that's in a all closer. good point. Holy yeah. cow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, Larry Bird, I have a question for you. Well, Jack was about to say <laughs> something. I saw him. Well, I was, just gonna, to I was just going to add to that real quick. Yeah. For any of the listeners that are in flat farmland where they really don't have much elevation, mm-hmm. don't feel like elevation is the only thing that, that you have to your advantage right. there. Um, Tim mentioned that we did have some very strong storms come through. So, I mean, there's, there's areas where there's a lot of treetops down and stuff like that. And really what you're looking for to set up that perfect blind calling, you know, instance is just a visual barrier. Mm -hmm. Elevation is a great visual barrier, but down trees, thick tops, that can also be a visual barrier. So if you have to come around it, yeah, Mm -hmm. if you know, if you know that that deer's tendencies is to be on one side of that thick cover, you can back all the way up into that thick cover, either, you know, on the edge of it. I personally prefer to be in it or on the backside of it. If I can get there and it would be cool. Yeah. And calling in that same instance, because the big thing is 
if you can be in a tree where that deer can't see the base of that tree, mm -hmm. you're doing the same thing that elevation is doing. You're taking away that visual reassurance that that deer would have by looking. Yeah. And so yeah. the last deer that I blind called in was exactly that. Um, the woods had been logged. There were still tops down. There's a tree that I could slide into that was in the middle of those tops. And when I, when I ran through a blind sequence, he was through another side of a different thicket and came out of that thicket hmm. and ended up right in front of me wow. where I was at. So don't feel like elevation is the only, the only thing that you have that you can use there. You can use other cover. It's just that you need that visual separation. Yeah. So go ahead, Scott. Okay. So you've disclosed that you hunt in at least two states. Indiana, yes. Indiana, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And you haven't disclosed how many cameras you have, and I'm not going to ask you to, <laughs> but you have disclosed that when you're on this bigger buck, you want to put as many cameras out as you can to try to pinpoint that. Within spot. reason. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Okay, so here we are mid-October. You're trying to get ready. You're hunting, but you don't have your bow in your hand yet. How many hours a night are you looking at trail camera footage? Well, that's different now than it used to be. Um, it used to be my cell, my, 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 my <laughs> there are, there are three versions of me and trail cameras. One was when it was film. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I never made it to the parking lot with the film. I was already yeah, somewhere like in bedding in Walmart, you know, <laughs> scooting some pillows aside. I going remember through like the a wild game squirrel. innovation. You're got the 32 photos. Yep. Oh yeah. So raccoon, you know, raccoon, raccoon, nothing, nothing wind. Yeah. Go. Yeah, and so you had the 35 millimeter where yeah. that was intrusive. You had the white flash. I can't remember. I can't tell you how many times I had you know big bucks and that flash going off and the in the in the, the literally the look was like oh the big yeah. white eyes. You know, never to be seen again. You yep. know, at that spot. Um, but you had the film cameras, which was intrusive. Uh, then you had SD card cameras, which were less intrusive just because. I had more opportunity to stack up more pictures before I had to go back. Right. Okay. Yep. I didn't have, you know, 12 or 36 roll of film in there. So was, I knew I had. It, it was the frequency of intrusion. The frequency that was of less. intrusion yeah. Yeah. was less. Okay. Um, but now with the cell cams, um, I, I will tell you right now, the only time I'm using SD card cameras is if I am next to a food plot. Okay. Where I know I'm not next to the bedding or you know anything like that. Um, right. I, food plots are destinations. I don't kill deer on food plots, which is a whole other thing. Okay. None of these were ever killed on a plot. Wow. So, okay. um, but the cell cameras, uh, that would be something where um, the only time I'm going in to, to, to mess with the cell camera is I can see my battery is low on the app. So right. it really takes away the amount of intrusion that I go in there. So that being said, what was your question again? Kind of a thing? <laughs> How many minutes or hours a day or a week do you spend looking at video and trying to figure out what these documents yeah. are doing? Um, oh, man. Um, Not only people have a comprehension of what that is. Every day. Really, yeah, I, I agree. It's now how much time I, I will say right now. Um, I've just got one location, and it really it's not set up for deer, it's for a, a trespasser that I know is now going in, and I'm gonna nail his butt. But, anyways, yeah, um, yeah. I, I've got one of those out, it's go time, mid -October. but it's yep. mid October and it's go time. Do you want me to answer that? I think I think Scott. What and I if, let me ask you this: What have you observed? Because maybe I don't have a good compass on this. <laughs> oh, observed while you drive? Or no, no. <laughs> oh, oh my god! 
<laughs> Here, hold the wheel. I got it. Oh, no, no, I got it. I can drive it. I can drive it. Camera's jamming in at 9 o'clock. I have a callus on my knee. I can drive with a knee. Trust me. I think, I mean, I think that Scott could verify this, and I think that Tim would would say the same. I mean, when everything's running and it's mid-October, late October, and the intel that's coming in is is the crucial intel that you really need to start paying attention mm-hmm. to twice a day. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself, I guess, first. Uh, running 15 cell cameras. Uh, a lot tw- of cameras. Twice a day, I would say probably an hour, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening is what I would do off of 15 cameras. Um, that's 15 cameras. So call it you know, call it four or five minutes per camera to check those pictures as mm-hmm. they come in. And, and really, and that's if that's if all the information that that's there is just information that's reaffirming what I already think I know. Right. Um, it's different if it's if it's new area, new information, a new deer where there's more there's more of a deep dive into those photos. So if it's an area where, like, take, for example, that Ohio buck this year, we had a pretty good dial on what he was doing. So when those pictures were coming through, it was just confirming that he was still doing what we thought he was. Exactly. Versus if that had been a new deer or a new location where I was trying to put those puzzle pieces together, you could take that hour and probably bump it out to an hour and a half. Right. Um, and that's on 15 cameras. And I, I, there again, I, I won't guess as to how many cameras are being ran um, by some other people here, <laughs> but I can, I can assure you that it's not 15. It's not 15? No, it's not 15. <laughs> I promise you it's not 15. Are you going to answer this question? This is important. This is the stuff that you All right. The, the, thing, the, thing that's, the reason that this is important is to, and I think, Scott, you can, you can confirm this. It's, it's important in understanding what chasing deer at this level really means. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. not, it's not getting information from two cameras and spending 10 minutes. Um, and I think that's why Scott's really pushing for this answer is to, because yeah, it so really gives a glimpse as to what the self realization. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And yeah. And and, and okay, here we go. Here we, here we go. Here we go. Um, on the cell camera accounts that I have, I have two different kinds of accounts. One mm-hmm. is just for pictures. The other it has now pictures, videos. I'm probably going to switch more to that platform yeah. coming up because I just the information and the more of story you get with the video. Absolutely. Um, but last year, you got to remember though, I'm in two states and managing about 7,000 acres in two states. Okay. Okay. And I think at peak time last year, I was at like, 56 cameras that I was monitoring every day. Oh my yeah. goodness. Every day. And, and every what day. happened at Christmas this year? <laughs> I love my wife. You know, I love these kind of mistakes. But no, my, 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 there was a sale on one of the brands that I was I liked. Yeah. And my wife, uh, I just happened to mention, man, that's a dang good price. Not meaning to buy any, and so in her yeah. good heart, she orders twelve of these things. Oh my god! From Cabela's, and this isn't a bash against Cabela's. Gets better. Just, just hang. Just, there's the rest of the story here, but she orders twelve of these cell cameras for Cabela's. It's yeah. dirt cheap price. Well, uh, f- I think it was f- five days, like d- December twentieth. She gets a notification from Cabela's. Sorry, we got your order, but we're out of stock. Uh. All right, these things are back ordered. All right. So she panics, 
and finds the same camera at Dick's Sporting Goods, mm-hmm. okay, and I guess calls them, and the guy's like, yeah, I got 10 right here. And so she goes, I got to take 10. So she orders 10 of these things. Well, a couple days later, that shipment from Dick's Sporting Goods shows up on our porch mm-hmm. at you know in the morning, and she's got a t- ten cameras. She's like, "Oh, thank God! You know, I, I can get ten, you know, another ten of these cell cameras, which I really didn't need, but oh well. <laughs> you know, I've got ten ten more cameras. I'll find a place for oh, them, heck kind yeah. of thing." In the afternoon, like within a couple hours, oh, she hears no. another person at the door. And lo and behold, the Cabela's order also is on the oh my 22 gosh. freaking of these cell cameras show up in the same day. So he denies it right now, but I, I think Scott would take my side on this. I would say about uh, October 20th of next year, he'll have all of them out. Yeah, and order three more. And order three more. Now you just need a new property now. You ran out of you have no oh, place to put them. Art, but she, a new property. Art, she wrapped them all up, and I, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. But so how many it, hours a day do you spend looking at that? Hours a day. Um, I'm going to say at peak time. No, I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be real clear on this. I probably spend more time on the cameras between October 20th okay. and November 1st. That ten days more than any other period of time, and I could, I, I think it may get up to, like, to three hours a day. And think about Whoa. that: three hours a day plus hunting, possibly because you're hunting. Plus hunting, but I am. And here's what here's what starts to take the time. These cameras, they come in at different times yeah. through the day. Okay, they check at different times. Yep. And the places that I've got, you know, there's lots of information to go through. Um, but that 10 day period there at its, at its peak, you know, three hours, there might be sometimes four hours a day that I am, I'm gleaning through stuff and I'm That's trying thousands to, of photos though. Oh, oh. oh. thousands. Yeah, yeah. So some of the, some of the feed sites in Ohio will go, I mean, just going off of, of the information from some of my cameras, some of those will go five to 8,000 pictures a week on a camera, on a camera. Oh my God. Yeah, my, my Moultrie, I didn't know. I, I mean, I'm going to say brands, but the one brand of camera, they send you a tally for what you were, and and the one brand of camera they have, and that's just the one brand. That was only half of them. It was uh, 121 thousand something pictures that came through. Oh my gosh! Year. So it's a lot to look through. But here's the thing: once you figure out though who you're after and kind of what cameras that they're on. Yep. I don't want to say the rest becomes static, but you 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 really start to hone down. Right, right. And then sometimes you get such detail. You will literally get in your truck and you will drive to Ohio. My camera goes off. I got to go. Like now. Like. And that's, in the truck. That's let's let's go. You have to have the time or or your home life set up in a way that cold fronts come and picture came in. I've got four hours until I need to be in a stand. I'm loading the truck up and I'm driving to Ohio. Yeah. You you literally this year got in your vehicle on a Sunday morning, was it? No. Uh-uh. No. What, what happened on that one? You're you're close. I there was. Because uh, most people wouldn't do this. Yeah. Oh no, that was Sunday. Yeah, I know what yeah, you're talking you about. There was a giant that I had over in Ohio, mm-hmm. and on Saturday he showed up in the morning. And he showed up in the evening on that same camera in daylight. Ugh. Okay, 
Sunday morning, that sucker showed back up again, and we had a little, just a little cool front coming in. I dropped everything. Like Sunday night, he's dead. Here we go. Done. Yep. He's, he's, he's stick him on a stick him on a fork. It's over. Yep. You know, and I at ten in the morning after I saw that, I loaded up everything um, as quick as I could. Drove five hours to Ohio to get on that stand. Uh, see five I was yeah, by three by three mm-hmm. because it was you know early in the season so sunsets you know later yeah and I was on that stand by like three thirty to watch a raccoon oh, so it didn't happen no it didn't happen you drove home and got home at midnight went to work drove home that I got home like at two in the morning yeah. and woke up at two in the morning and or got up from you know my two o'clock you know, at a hunt and walk into work wow. the next day yeah you nail it yeah you just go. So what happened with that? Was the wind wrong? Was it just it just wasn't in the cards? or? Uh, he wasn't there. He just wasn't there. Did, he, did <laughs> no. he show back up at all after no. that? That's you know, what I thought. That oh, no kidding. He never showed up again. Yeah. 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 Uh. Something happened. There was some projects that the farmer was working on, and my other cameras uh, showed me then the next day as I'm checking cameras, there was a lot of activity near that one bedding area. Just pushed him out. And it pushed him out. Gosh. And I was that close to having maybe a 200-inch layer. Uh that's cl- first time in my life. Yeah, but uh, hey. But these are those little things that it takes if you want to be yeah, yeah. Larry Bird. And you got to decide if you want to go that level or not. And yeah. if you want to try to do this every year. Every, every year, yeah. It's- yeah, and to add to one, you know, one of the things, and you know, three hours a day is a lot of time for looking at cameras. Yeah. Um, but I will say that not all three hours of that is just due to the pictures and the quantity of pictures. But one of the things that, that Tim does a lot of is, you know, he's on multiple properties with multiple people and it's not like the group that, you know, I don't hunt any prop or I take that back the one property you and I do hunt together, but like Scott and I, we're only on one property together. Mm-hmm. Tim and I are on a couple different properties together, but what I'm trying to get at is, is Tim has a core group of guys, but not all of us hunt all of the property. So right. it's kind of like, you know, a Tim and, and a group over here and Tim and a group here and Tim and another group over here. And not only does he get all of that information, but he also takes the time during that three hours to send all of the pertinent information back out to everyone within those groups. Wow. So it's mm-hmm. not just the checking of the work cameras. For everybody. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not just the checking of the cameras. We're it's for each other. Yeah. And that's that I wanted to make sure that that was clear. It's not my pictures are not my pictures. My pictures are our pictures. Tim's pictures are not his pictures. Yeah. Tim's pictures are everyone's. It's just that for me, it's, you know, a quarter of the number of pictures that he has to worry about. Right. So, you know, I just wanted to point out that it's not like you're just looking at pictures for three hours. Mm-hmm. You're looking at pictures, getting that information, sending it to the appropriate mm-hmm. group from that appropriate camera. And so there's a lot more into it than just looking at the picture. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Sending me pictures of deer. I want to shoot that he has no desire to shoot. Right, me. right. Yeah, he took the time that took a still life, sent it to me. Hey, he came in from the right at this time. Mm-hmm. Give me a call when you get a chance. We'll talk more about it. Right. right. Mm-hmm. When a big buck comes in, can you analyze that photo and find like oh, he's coming from this direction every single time? So I know there's a good bedding back here that he's going to. It's tendencies. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. It's it's never an exact, but it's tendencies. It's again, it goes to the highest odds. Now sometimes you will get um, an exact, uh, and what I mean by that, uh, again, these trail cameras, they are weapons. Yeah. Uh, I learned that a long time ago that you know. When you've got, I'll just tell you how bad it was for me with with my trail cameras. When I learned these things are weapons, they will kill deer. Mm-hmm. 
I had a backpack, went into a, a, an area where I knew there was a big deer. I wasn't sure which way he was coming through in the evenings. There was three places he could go through. This is back in the day of film cameras. Okay. When I went in, I hung a camera on the one trail area where I thought he would be coming through. Went to the next area, hung another trail camera, put that down, and a third one, put that one down as I was on my way and hunted a fourth area. Mm-hmm. Okay? On my way out, guess what I did? Hung I picked one. up camera three, camera two, and camera one and went straight to Walmart and processed them at Walmart. Oh, my photo. gosh. And the results are? The results are I figured out where he was coming in and out. And he's hanging right behind. And that's you. the one you got killed. Mm-hmm. That one that split. Exactly, and that was, uh, yeah. And it's not just it, the cameras aren't pleasure; they are weapons. Yeah. And I, I used that was back in the film. I, you know how much <clears throat> film I wasted that night. You oh, jeez. But, <laughs> but I had. I now I knew. Yeah. I knew what a tendency was, and it got me going. All right. And, and it a worked. A few weeks later, he's gone. Yeah. Now, but the the and one other thing too. Not only does it show you, uh, you know, where they're coming from, time of day, you know, that kind of stuff. We went through, you probably remember this. Um, there was a buck way back in the day we used to call peg leg. And he just had this back leg that was kind of a, a peg, nice big rack, flyers off of him, everything. Drought year. We had a drought in Indiana. To, I mean, our corn got this high. Oh, my god! It was gosh. terrible. It was terrible. Farmers, I mean, the crop industry, insurance industry went broke that year. I mean, but it was bad. Everything was dry. Mm-hmm. And I got... I, I wasn't getting pictures of peg leg. I, I, I just would get a few here and there. And I remember I got a picture of him. And in two seconds, I knew where I was headed to put that tree stand up. Right. Because peg leg had what on him? Muck. He had muck on one of his hoof areas. Yep. And there was only, in a drought, there was only one spot on that farm got him. where he would have went around that one swamp that he could have got muck on him. I hung the stand and that night nailed it. Got it. Got the shot. No kidding. So, but it's details like that that, you know, you just, these cameras are wicked weapons. People don't pay attention to that. They They're like, oh, here's big buck. No. They don't look, they don't analyze the hooves. They don't analyze the animal yeah. itself. So as you're sifting through these pictures, even though there's a volume to it, you know, you're like, there's details you're, you're yeah. looking for too. And people missing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just a few things. I got to You can now. got to scoot. All right. I appreciate it, Scott. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, it was a good time. You're the man. Keep talking, Larry. <laughs> yeah. Keep talking, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my best way out of here. You good? Mm-hmm. Scoot behind me. Oop. I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Nice Be you. safe. Banging stuff. Oh. All right, I actually hit the table. <clears throat> Excuse me. So have you noticed on a deer, like when you shoot them at that five, six-year range, at what age do they start dwindling down where you notice that the antler growth is just diminishing tremendously? You know, uh, in our areas of Indiana and Ohio that we're hunting, um, I just have not ever i feel ever seen that eight nine ten year old but i i don't know um by the time they're getting to age six or seven um 
if they are on one of our farms, mm-hmm. uh, we let the kids, we turn the kids loose on them, you know, and, and yeah. let them have a buck of a lifetime kind of a thing. You know? Right, so right. Cool. We may see that next year. We might. We, we may out of, yeah. out of one of them. But it's very seldom we get a, a buck to the point he starts to decline. There is one, I don't know if the podcast because you can see it here, but there's one up in the corner, mm-hmm. um, Perfect 10. Uh, okay. He was he was uh, seven and a half. We shot him. He was starting to decline a little. Really? Bit. Yeah, yeah. But he's uh, a neat looking deer. Yeah, the taxidermist said said he was the most scarred up buck he'd ever seen in his life. No he was kidding. All, he's he was a, a fighter. fighter. Yeah, I should have done to him what I did to Ramrod. Right, I right. Got him Kill out him, there, him but quick. That was years ago, and I wasn't thinking like that. I was like, you know, right. hey, just an old buck running around with not much. Rack. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he was doing a lot of damage though. No kidding. <laughs> running him out. All the the properties you've hunted in both Indiana and Ohio. Which state do you think well holds larger amount of deer or larger caliber of deer? Larger caliber of deer, um, I would have probably up to about six year, five six years ago, definitely said Ohio. Okay, um, but I think some of the last data I've seen on Indiana. Uh, in fact, the last article, one of the last articles I read, is Indiana was now leading. The Midwest oh, in done. Boone and okay. Crockett entries. If you start to look at recent entries, yeah. Um, but that has been because of one buck rule. A lot of people are more interested in growing what we're talking about. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's picking up. Um, but anytime you can do what Ohio is doing, you can give a short gun season that is out of the rut. Yep. And a one buck rule. That is the perfect storm. Oh, absolutely. That is the perfect storm. You're going to find these big deer all over the place. Yeah. Okay. In Indiana, with a one buck rule, 30 days of gun season, all right, and in the middle of the rut, you're going to still find that, but it's going to be in pockets. And okay. It's because those guys that have those larger tracks, you know, they, they've managed it or... Maybe you're up against, you know, uh, an area of no hunting, you know, and those kind of things. But mm-hmm. you're going to find it more in pockets rather than statewide. Right. Um, and I, but the one buck rule has helped us along yeah, quite I, a bit. You know, thinking about that question, I think it. when you look at a state like Ohio, I think that there's you're, you have higher odds in Ohio of, of stumbling upon one than what I think yep. you have in Indiana. In Indiana, you know, I think that there are – more more dedicated guys in indiana than what you see in a lot of ohio okay um, i mean i'm not saying that ohio doesn't have some absolute giant killers over there i mean they do have oh yeah but i think that due to season structure and opportunity for deer to put age on them i think that the odds of just randomly setting in a you know a 15 acre wood lot in north central ohio and shooting a 180 190 i think is higher than what you have in indiana i think that okay. over there there's just a a more ample opportunity for that deer to get to that age um, than what you see a lot around here. But I think that Indiana has everything that it takes to grow giants. And so when you get, you know, a a group that's dedicated and I'm not saying a group that all hunts together, but if you get a neighborhood that's dedicated to quality, I think that's when you really start seeing what Indiana can produce. You know, when you take a look at what, what's being managed up here, it really starts to influence the size of the deer and there's a gentleman i can't remember his name for the life of me out of wisconsin that's big on deer management on small or small ish um, areas and the thing that he talks about is 
being the influence in the neighborhood, not the state. You know, we can't change okay. what Indiana is doing as a state. Yeah. But like what, you know, Tim's got going on, you know, if you can influence your neighborhood, mm -hmm. then you have an impact on that herd. And that's that's when you really start to see results like this come about is when you have, you know, influence on a neighborhood. We can't influence what the state's going to do. I mean, the state will always go by what the state feels is probably going to produce the highest amount of revenue. Right. Um, unfortunately. But when you get groups in areas that are like minded and you start to build that neighborhood, that neighborhood becomes its own almost like its own subsection of the state mm -hmm. where that neighborhood's playing by its own rules. You know, it's playing within the law, right? but mm -hmm. it's playing by within its own rules as far as, you know, what they're doing to manage that herd opposed yeah. to what the state's doing to manage it. So I think Indiana has some isolated pockets where Indiana has groups that are, that are putting more management mindset into it as to where Ohio just has a management mindset for the state. So I think that's, that's the huge. big difference between the two. Yeah. But both manage people well. Both scenarios you talked about. It's not about. I'm going to tell you right now. Mm -hmm. You get you guys trying to grow big bucks. I know this sounds crazy and it sounds counterintuitive, but it really isn't about managing deer. It's about managing people. People go back right that's, back to the people. Right back 100%. to the people. Yep. Yeah. Uh, how it does on a statewide? Okay. What Jack's talked about in Indiana. Those those smaller you know areas. Mm -hmm. They're managing people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're managing their neighbors well. And, and it doesn't mean telling them what to do. It's working with them well. Right, right. Okay? Uh, the, the, if you're going to be successful more often than just once in a while, yeah, you're going to have some of the best relationships around you, than you that you can imagine. Okay? Oh, yeah. And it, it, it just good relationships grow big deer. Yep. You don't grow big deer first. Exactly. Uh, you can... But it's just it's just a, such an anomaly, and it's so much more rewarding too to have mm -hmm. those good neighbor relationships oh. too, um, oh, yeah. and working on the same team, the same playing field. But yeah, managing people, you're gonna get you're gonna get a lot done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. You know, a lot of times with that, you know, you've got to look at that management aspect when managing people and understand that, you know, there are gonna be people that have different standards, mm -hmm. but don't feel like those standards. You can still use somebody else's standards to your advantage just by knowing what it is that, just by knowing how they hunt and what it is that they're looking to kill. You know, for example, if you've got a piece of property and you butt up, say you've got two, 300 acres and you butt up against a 40 acre lot and you know that those guys are going to hunt every single day, they're going to put a ton of pressure on that. They're going to shoot the first buck that walks by. Stay off that edge. It's not going to do. It's not yeah. going to do you any good exactly. to be on their edge. Right. Instead, instead take you know take a sixty or eighty acre swath out of your property that borders them, and turn that swath into that safe haven so that when they go in there and they pressure that every single day, all they do is push push their deer onto yeah. your property, and just like Tim said, as that deer ages, as that buck ages, and it starts to worry more about safety than anything mm -hmm. else, where's that deer not likely right to spend much property. time? Yeah, he's gonna. They're gonna bump yep. him off. They're gonna bump him off at two and a half or three and a half. And as long as he survives and doesn't get whacked on that property during the rut or pre-rut, mm -hmm. he's going to lodge in in that in that sanctuary that you've got that borders your neighbor. Let your neighbor shoot that two and a half year old. That he's not gonna shoot every one of them. You know, right. he's gonna have deer that make it. So stay off his edge. Let him let him hunt the way he hunts. Be happy for his hunting, but mm -hmm. use what he's doing to make your property better. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, Patrick, really, we could do a whole segment on a podcast on how to manage relationships oh, well yeah. that benefits you from just a person, mm-hmm. okay, and how it benefits, you know, your hunting and how it benefits your lease contracts. Yeah. And how it benefits, uh, obviously, maybe your neighbor at times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's there's a whole, I mean, someday if we want to sit down and do that, oh, that, that would be a, an hour worth of material there. Yeah. Um, and the health that's that's that surrounds that, just for you know people in general, and just feeling better about themselves, feeling like they're accomplishing something. Um, feeling like uh they're they're working with the grain rather than against it um just knowledge even if i'll put it this way even if there's somebody on 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 the edge of your property and you hate them Mm -hmm. you can't stand what's going on over there okay well it's still a not bad conversation just to reach out sometimes and say how'd it go yeah. Oh, okay. absolutely. How have you been? You know, kind of a thing. You may not like what they're doing, but at the same time, you never know where that's going to go. You're not hurting anything. Sometimes you even get information that's helpful. We hunted all year and we were out here all the whole time. We never saw such and such a buck. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, now we know that they're not. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that so they can help you too. We, oh, we saw yeah. them all last year, but we didn't see them at all this year. The power of conversations, okay. you know. Um, can go far. They go far. They go far. Well, a couple more things and we can wrap it up here if you'd like. But I did have a question on on baiting. You guys can bait in Ohio and obviously not in Indiana. Would you, if they were to say no baiting in Ohio, we're done, would you be done in Ohio? Some places, yes. Some places, no. Okay. Um, The areas that you get into in the mountains, uh, in the southeast mountains, uh, and I'm going to say I'm going to talk about. I'm going to use the word the words uh, a supplemental food source. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can call that baiting. I can also call it a clover bean turnip plot that was never there in the mm-hmm. mountains. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they're going to come into that just as fast as they would maybe better as a corn pile. Right. All right. Um, but the food in the mountains, wherever that is at, is where those deer are going, and in those mountain areas, acorns are supreme. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, that tends to be a, a. And there's another plant over there in the summer, greenbrier. We've picked that up. They love that stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, that's a, a, a natural plant that grows out there. But um, food drives so much activity in those mountains that you, you've got to be in tune at all times where that is at. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, and without those alternative food sources, it makes the hunting extremely difficult, especially right. for an out-of-stater. Okay, they can't keep in tune with you know. Okay, the acorn's about to come down. <laughs> kind right. of thing. Um, so that alternative food source for the out-of-stater, that I mean, the, the position we're in in the mountains, I would say that could be a game changer. Gotcha. Okay. Um, however, there are other counties in Ohio that I'm hunting. And I just don't. In fact, even as I can bait, I don't. Okay. Um, I'm still using, you know, features we talked about terrain, mm-hmm. where ag and bedding and you know all that stuff comes together, and use yeah. the same tactics I'm using here in Indiana, which is non-bait state, and I use that over in Ohio. And in fact, uh, 
the diesel was a, a non-bait okay. um, out of the mountains. Wivels behind you, non-bait out of the mountains. Um, let's see, I don't know if you can see some of these other ones here. Uh, tiny, non-bait. That's that high 10? Yeah. That's that high 10, non-bait out of the mountains. Um, Bojangles right above him. Split brows. Bait. Snowball. Snowball. No bait. You know. Okay. So actually, most of actually all the deer. And then all I've your shot. Indiana deer. Yeah. No. No bait. Obviously, no bait. No bait. Yeah. Um, in fact, the properties we got in Ohio um, that are in the mountains right now uh, were taken on supplemental feed. Okay. Uh, but the rest of them. Not happening. Gotcha. It's actually, it's actually easier to hunt them without the bait. And that's what I wanted to make as clear as I can possibly make. When you put out supplemental feed or bait or whatever you want to call it, that is not a slam dunk. Nope. You know, in yeah, people don't understand that. No, like, you're baiting, understand oh, you're no. just going out there baiting. You just made it more difficult. In, yep. in those mountains, the, oh, yeah. the thing that, that bait does in those mountains is it gives you the intel. Mm-hmm. You're, you're essentially you're doing nothing more than creating a destination food site no different than a cornfield or a bean field or a clover plot or anything else, 100% of the time, that mature buck is going to do everything in his advantage getting to that food site. Yep. Yeah. There are many, in many ways, when I think about it, a very small food site or supplemental feed site, like a bait pile, makes it more difficult to hunt that spot because you're taking and you're making such a small spot that that deer can approach that spot from any direction on any wind at any point in time, mm-hmm. trying to set up within a close bar, uh, archery range to those feed sites is very, very difficult to, you really have to be comfortable with going in and giving that deer every possible advantage and playing a just off very marginal wind. Right. And to do that when you're dealing with thermals and you're dealing with uh, swirling winds, you're dealing with ridge tops, you're dealing with, you know, thermal tunnels, not just thermal fall and rise, but thermal tunnels and everything mm-hmm. else that goes into it. If, if anybody listening thinks that you can go into the <laughs> mountains and throw out 200 pounds of corn and go in the next day and shoot your big buck, you're going to be terribly, terribly disappointed. <laughs> terribly, terribly disappointed. <laughs> just, just to give you an idea, on one property last year, we were running between 2,500 and 3,000 pounds a week. A week. A week. And that is in an effort to keep deer on the property. Oh, my god! To keep those deer safe in the property because, yep. you know, we're still, even though it's a big track, it's a, it's a fairly long track. Long. So it, it gets narrow in spots. And in those areas that it gets narrow, you know, bordering property gets hunted. And if our food runs out and they still have food, our deer leave. And we saw it the year before. We didn't see it as much last year. We didn't see as much of a shift. But the year before, we seen it, and we seen it plain as day. When the neighboring when the neighboring property ran out of food, we would pick up bucks. And once they were there, they oh, okay. they wouldn't leave. But if you let that food run out, um, you know, for example, we've got one spot that is we call it the gate cut, and the gate cuts kind of in the middle of the property in a roundabout way. And there were times that one of the one of the big deer that showed up two years ago that was real broke up. Um, when that corn ran out, uh, two days later, he was on another spot that was mm-hmm. six, 800 yards away. Mm-hmm. And that six or 800 yards put him right on the property line. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where it, 
putting the corn out isn't isn't a guarantee. Uh, right. Putting the corn out is a necessary evil in that terrain because if you don't hold them there, they will go somewhere else. Oh, they're um, going for the food. And I mean, give you basics. You're creating a destination. Yeah. And destination hunting is for, is so much harder than transition hunting. Okay. Or what I've just talked about in this here behavior trait hunting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, destination hunting. Think about it. it. Goes like this. If you got that supplemental food source there. And you're trying to get into that close on a morning hunt, and they're already there. What are you doing? You're probably going to run them out. Oh, okay? yeah. Or run the ones you want out. And the evenings, which is your better opportunities on destinations, okay? But I will not, I don't, I, I mean, I can't think of the last time I went in for a morning hunt on a destination and, and, gotcha. and successful. It's been evenings, okay? okay? But the evening goes like this if your buck shows up, you're good, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. With the daylight, the winter, and you come in and you got him on your and, you're, and you, you tagged, you got you. You're good, Done. okay. But if you're in there at that destination on an evening hunt, and your does are coming in, your other bucks are coming in, he might be hanging in, you know, hanging. He's going to come in later, and then you leave after they're all kind of around there. What did you just do? You're going to run them out, okay? And they're not going to come back too quick, okay? They're going to be wiser to you. Oh, yeah. So these the the food, the corn, they want to eat it. And as long as that camera is sitting there, Mm -hmm. when you're not, it makes it look really easy, okay? As soon as your smelly feet (laughs) come in there, um, you're going to have limited opportunities and your best chances are going to be in the evenings. Right, okay. I, I mean... It, it sounds really, really dumb to say it this way, but honestly, down there in that portion of Ohio, there's only two kinds of successful hunts in the evening. The one where you kill the deer you went in for and the one where you don't see anything. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. it. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, on, you didn't educate anything. Yeah. And that's just it. You oh, know, on a, yeah. on a, on a hunt mm. where you've got, you know, five or six does that come in at the end of legal shooting time and you've got, you know, a couple of your younger bucks that come in at the legal shooting time, even if you wait until they're off the food, and you can't see them anymore, you're not getting down and off of that ridge without them knowing that you're there. They know you're there. You, and the whole focus and the whole reason that deer like this are are possible to kill is mm-hmm. there again because of low intrusion and low pressure. Mm-hmm. So when you educate that three-and-a-half-year-old to that noise on that ridge top that wasn't there or, you know, there again, these ridge tops, they're not all real wide. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them are pretty narrow ridge tops. So a deer that's a hundred yards away can look up at that ridge top and skylight you or skylight. Oh, yeah. And so even though you may think that that deer has gone and out of the way, you may be, you know, you may be educating your three and a half year old deer, you know, your two and a half year olds, your old does. So, I mean, it, like I said, it sounds, sounds really dumb to say it that way, but there's two successful hunts down there. The one where you kill the buck you're there for, and the one where you don't see anything. <laughs> That makes a really good point. So people we've learned about, a lot. People are thinking yeah. about the yeah. hard way. A lot of, a lot of trial way. and error. It's been a lot yes. of trial and error. You know, when, you, when you're uh, a, a Midwest woodlot hunting type of a person, yeah, um, and you have those tactics on transition and behavior traits, you know, mm-hmm. that are your cash king, and you do that same stuff over in Ohio, and then all of a sudden you get opened up to a couple opportunities for large tracks in the mountains. Mm-hmm. It's a new ball game. Yeah. And it's totally different. Um, the deer are going to act similar in some ways and very different in others. And, yeah. And I will, I, I'm going to say one more thing about Southeast Ohio. Yeah. Just as a warning for your listeners. There is a bug in Ohio called a chigger. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. And I'm telling you, I'm I'm serious. I'm dead serious. If you get a property in Southeast Ohio and you're watching this podcast, and I have not warned you about chiggers, I would be doing you a disservice, and I could not sleep tonight. So you 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 need to be read them up read up on them, how to keep them off of you, because if you don't, all right, you will be as miserable as you possibly can imagine. With uh, chigger bites, you yeah, know, sometimes hundreds, hundreds up your legs and over itch, 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 itch. Oh, terrible. Yep. And it's a summer phenomenon. As soon as the frost hits, you're good to go. Good. But for those of you doing work in the summer in southeast Ohio, uh, or where turkey. chiggers might be you know, prevalent, make sure you take the right precautions. Um, and you just, uh, you're welcome. I warned you. <laughs> you're welcome. And welcome. the ticks. Are they bad the out ticks there? down they there are really are yeah. unlike. They'll get so bad on the back of the deer's ears it looks like cauliflower. Oh yeah, wow! It literally, yeah. Like they're walking around with cauliflower. It'll on their be. Ears. It's, it, it's weird because in all the trips down, and everything else, I don't know that I've had more than just a handful of ticks on me. But you shoot a buck down there, you shoot a deer down there, and you put that in the bed of your truck. It, it just look at the bed of the truck when you get it out. When, oh, the first one that I shot down there, that I took to the taxidermist when when he opened up the cape on the floor. I mean, it, there must have been 40, 50 ticks in the bag Whoa. that were trying just trying to crawl out. I mean, it's that doesn't even count the ones that are in the deer. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not that's just counting. That's just the ones that we're trying to get off of it yeah. at that point in time. Yeah, it's the the chiggers and the ticks in Southeast Ohio is, is really yeah. something else. It's not easy. No, yeah, no, but it's worth it. Yeah, you, you put a lot of time and effort into it to yeah. do what you do. I have a little saying, you know, it goes like this: the heart is what makes it great. Yeah. If it was easy, everybody would be doing this. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I People mean. People just do not understand how hard it can be. Yeah. And that's and if, hours. Oh, oh yeah. it, I mean, oh. the transition between, and just just me personally, the transition between deer hunting and hunting a deer is difficult. I mean, it's something that, it, it's a choice that you make knowing that it's it's not that failure is likely, it's that failure is guaranteed. Oh, there's a yeah. there's a hundred percent chance you're going to fail far more often than what you succeed. Yep. Before you get everything figured out, go into out. it knowing that. Yeah. If you're, I mean, if you're going to get to this level, we talked about mm-hmm. this. If you're going to get to this level, you're going to shoot big deer. You got to be comfortable with a couple things. One, you've got to be comfortable. Oh, I mean, okay with. You're not going to get a deer this year. Yeah. You're eating a tag. You've got to be comfortable that you're not going to get a deer this year. Two. You've got to be comfortable that somebody else is going to get the deer you were after or wanted to save. Ooh, yeah. Got to be comfortable with it. Those two things right there, if you can't handle that, you, you will be very, you, you're going to have a lot of discomfort. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Are there deer that, that have been shot that I'm like, oh, shoot, dang it. Yeah, I have that. But don't stay there long. Okay. You can't stay there. Um, you can't get discouraged. There's, there's more discouragement trying to get this stuff than there is going to be encouragement. Right. right. Which is so crucial. Why then, when it comes to the people that you surround yourself with, you got the right people. Yeah. We're for each other. You keep circling back to that. And, and that's, uh, that's, 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 that's going to be your backbone. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there's, I, I can tell you from plenty of personal experience that in an effort to get to where you're pursuing this caliber consistently, you're going to be mentally challenged mm-hmm. and you're going to be mentally challenged Drained. every single season. Um, you know, this year, you know, after my first encounter with my Ohio buck, um, I actually went back to the truck and called my wife and said, I don't know if this is for me for much longer. Like, I don't, I don't know how long I can mentally <laughs> Going take. back to ducks. Yeah. Like, I don't know how long I can mentally take this. I mean, the, 
it's one of those things where you're going to make mistakes. I've made far more mistakes than what I've made successful oh, yeah. stories. And it's one of those things that when you've got not only the hours that you've spent, but for a group like ours, it's the hours that the group has spent. And when you've got an instance where the group has put that much effort into, into getting you positioned mm -hmm. for that one opportunity and that opportunity presents itself at 12 yards and you watch that opportunity walk off oh. knowing that it was your, it was your own failure that did it. It is absolutely sickening. Yep. Because it's not only, you know, not only did you, you know, it's personal, number one, you know, oh, you just, yeah. you yeah, spent yeah. all that time and effort, but then the reality of what the actual amount of effort that's gone into that has been starts to set in. And if you can't take the mental torture that, that, that comes with, with blowing <laughs> doesn't get up, much worse than no, that. no, it doesn't, it really doesn't. But in the end, it, there's nothing wrong with deer hunting. And if deer hunting is what you enjoy doing, if you love going out there and shooting, you know, three or four or five or eight does a year, and you know, you're happy shooting that two and a half year old buck. If, if that's what you're passionate about in deer hunting, kudos to you. Yeah. I will never mm. talk down about that. Right. But know that if you're trying to transition from that to what this is, mm -hmm. I can't tell you, I can tell you to be prepared, but you're not going to be right. There's, there's nothing Tim told me for years. I told myself for years, I've passed on some great deer. I've blown opportunities on some great deer. I've hit and lost some great deer. It never gets easier. Mm -mm. You know, the, honestly, year year. the, the easiest part of, for me about chasing deer of this caliber, and it's, it's taken a little bit of time to get used to it, but the easiest part about chasing deer of this caliber is letting the smaller ones walk. It, the easiest Ooh. part, the easiest thing for me to do this year was to let a, a mid to high one fifties ten walk in front of me four days in a row, Ooh. and and let him walk. That was the one hundred and forty low one forties eight. Is it's a nice eight? Yeah, and really that's that's what makes this part so enjoyable. Yeah, it, it's being able to watch deer of that caliber and knowing that if I don't see him again, that's okay. Because the seeing them, the having them disappear, those things happen. Mm -hmm. They're not that tough to swallow in the end. Right. It's the lessons learned. Those are the ones that will eat you. But as long as you're learning from them, I, I guarantee you the mistakes that I've made on the five largest deer that I've chased will not be mistakes that I make twice. Right. Yeah. And at, at, this, note. at this point in time, I think I'm, I think I'm finally to the point where I might be out of most of those mistakes. I, th I feel like I'm to a point now yeah, where, yeah, I feel like I'm to a point now where I, I should start to be a little more successful, Yeah, but getting here has been a battle. And you, you, you're going to make it though. Oh, you made yeah. it this far. Yeah. yeah. And you know, for the listeners out there that are, you know, you, you, obviously I'm going to say this very humbly. There's somebody that's got this done a lot. Yep. Then there's the jacks out there that have, mm -hmm. they know what they're doing and they've got some, they've got those shots but they know they want to just, there's a, that other level they're after, okay? If there's one thing that I have watched Jack, and for those listeners out there that, you know, I would encourage you to do, uh, that Jack does well. Um, in fact, he apologizes about it sometimes, and I laugh about it, but he asks questions. Why did you do that? Mm -hmm. What were you thinking? You know, if I would have done that, I'm not sure I would have done that. What? what? You know, um, 
where did he come from? Where did he go? You know, just ask questions, and 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 I, I will I will quantify that too. And if you've got somebody that's very successful that you could ask those questions to, mm-hmm. ask them. Yeah, okay? yeah. At, find that mentor, or that champion, kind of a thing. Um, just don't ask questions to anybody that's just trying to. Like, I don't know. I, mean, I, I think this is going on. Right. Those Somebody people knows. that that Scott, like Scott was talking about, you know, in that small circle. Yep. Ask those questions, and Jack's real good at that. He applies it. Um, he's got opportunities. He's going to get more. Oh yeah. Um, and I wish we could show a picture of Willy Wonka. You know, uh, <laughs> what he was after this year, Man. because I guarantee you. You know, next year, Jack is more lethal than he was this year, and he's going to get it done. He's just going to be You learn every year. He's, oh, every year. And grow done. every year. Every yeah. year. Yeah, when you're learning, you're not learning wrong. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It goes back to that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So. Yeah. Good talk. Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it very much. <clears throat> um, maybe we can hook up again and talk more, because I know we can. There's a whole lot of other stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talk about the relationship segment, which is key in hunting. Uh, I would also say, you know, uh, the things that don't need to, you don't need to buy, yeah. you know, to make you a successful hunter. The yeah, things I wouldn't that, mind having a whole podcast a on whole that. A whole podcast oh. on things you don't need to purchase that will are game changers. Um, and I, you know, even how to use that camera more as a weapon rather yeah. than just mm-hmm. taking pictures, you know. Right. And one well, thing I just, I, I mean, just little things, all kinds of little things on that. Yeah, so. and just, you know, mistakes that have been made that that we've learned from that could save someone else from from making that mistake yeah so i mean there's 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 days worth of conversations that we could have oh yeah we got to do it again because i did want to dive into the magazine but i think run out of time here so sure you're good yeah yeah Yeah, it's just they can read it somewhere yeah right north american white (laughs) tail magazine um it's featured january uh, december january so you're in that. So. Yeah, if they just put up uh, Tim Newsbaum, N U S S B A U M. That's the hardest part. Tim Newsbaum, North American Whitetail. It's still online. I mean, they can read it, you know, electronically. Kind last of, time when there, it only took thing. me three takes for the last name. So yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Good well, stuff. Heck yeah. Well, I appreciate. It. Thank you so much for having me in out here to see these deer. Yeah. yeah. So. For all you listeners, uh, what Patrick's doing, keep tuning in. This guy's got yeah, it going. Awesome. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, you guys have a good one. Be safe, stay safe out there, and bust them.